It's a pleasure to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So I think my story started like at school when I did a lot of mathematics and computer science and, you know, like participated in different Olympiads. So I just moved from usual school to more like specialized school with a focus on mathematics. And so there was like a great community where you can just solve a lot of problems and, you know, you can always ask a question. You will always have an answer for it. And then I moved, so I like spent a bunch of time solving problems, learning about algorithms, data, data structures. And then I went to a college where I studied applied mathematics. So it was, it was kind of cool. I mean, uh, I like it, but from the first year, I just understand that it's too theoretical. It's not applied at all. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I started looking for a job and there, like, there were a bunch of uh, different uh, options. You could go to internship at Google or Amazon. You can also just uh, working part-time on small Ukrainian company. Uh, but a friend of mine just uh, speak a lot about ZKSync and uh, small startup in crypto. So it's like very curious, what is this? Because that time it was like, what is Bitcoin? What is Ethereum? And everything was so mysterious to me. So it was sound like a rocket science. And at the same time, it was very interesting because uh, it was so like interconnected with uh, pure computer science. So yeah, I guess it was just very interesting in uh, what ZKSync do. And also I jumped to the website and there was a, a slogan where trust mass node validators. So it's like, yeah, it's like, Sounds super cool. So I, I want to uh, to be in. And I had interview with uh, Alex, our CEO. And the interview was like, can you solve the problem? And like, okay, okay. Um, you split the problem in a part. So it's like smaller part and solve it and then another one. And Alex was uh, talking about, yeah, yeah, you don't have experience, it's fine. Um, the only, you know, important thing is that uh, you're smart enough to figure it out. So it's like, wow, it's exactly what they want because on all other companies they're saying, no, no, but you need to have one year of Java, one year of C++, whatnot. So it was just different vibe. And yeah, it's how I joined Metro Labs, a company that is building ZKSync. And uh, it's my first job as, yeah. So it's like working three years in crypto for, for now. Yeah, it's a very cool first job. Yeah, I think it was just lucky. So you said it was a small startup at the moment. Did you have an idea of exactly what they were trying to do and how how big it could become or like what that entailed back then? Not, not really. So it's like uh, when I joined, I was actually reading a lot of books and my task at work was like, yeah, can you read Ethereum, uh, you know, yellow paper or like, can you read about uh, this paper, write a bit of circuits or, you know, just figure it out what is API and SDK. So a lot of uh, um, just simple computer science stuff, but also some um, advanced like CK circuits. So I did research on uh, both area and started doing something on um, more applied uh, after time passed. Cool, cool. So what was the, your evolution in the roles from where, when you started as a key sync and what you do now? 
Oh yeah, so it's like when we started, I was doing mostly Rust because so we had like as back then we had um, circuits re written on Rust, we had server written in Rust, uh, we have TypeScript that is for tooling, and so it's like I was doing server side work. Oh, it's like and Solidity, of course, yeah, Solidity for the smart contract. And back then, Solidity was like, oh, there's a lot of money inside. I don't need to keep it. Like I, I don't want to touch it because it's so you know, dangerous and you don't have experience. So no, no, I just will do something else. I was doing Rust code and uh, some tooling in TypeScript. It was really enjoying because you just try, you know, you understand what is Node on blockchain do and you try to understand what is decay, all the level of abstractions. So yeah, it was very interesting, but I would just, I think that I spent like one year doing this job. And then there was my first task on Solidity. So, it was kind of big task. I spent like one month, make so much over engineering. I uh, bring a lot of data structures. So, so everything that I knew from <laughs> Olympias, I just bring to Solidity and say, yeah, yeah, I optimize it very well. So you can use it in production. Like on the review, there's like people, whoa, why do you, you know, bring so much complexity? Back then I was like, oh no, but it's fine because I understand what I'm doing. Right now I was like, no, <laughs> I did not. So it's like, yeah, but so it's like my first task in Solidity and um, basically I just uh, start from that. And after after this, I was working on smart contracts for the Kisimkira that is currently deployed on mainnet and uh, also porting some uh, upgrades for the Kisimk Live. So it's a pr previous version of the Kisimk. You specialize in the security side of things, correct? Yeah, but it was not always the case. So it's like uh, when I did a job for protocol, so basically writing uh, solidity contracts, also researching for account abstraction, um, message passing between chains, all of this, I was really passionate about security. And I was like a bit concerned about every piece of code. So it's like when I did review, I think that I was looking into code and try, you know, to break it. I was intentionally, uh, my idea to break the code, even if it's fine, sometimes you can just find something very suspicious and you, you know, you want to go deep into it. So it's like, it was, uh, how I started to, to take the security role, um, did a bunch of, uh, internal review, find a couple of external bugs. And so after that, I was, yeah, I just understand that it's probably mine and just probably a month or two ago. I uh, switched from protocol team where I wrote writing smart contracts to a security team when I actually make design review or you know challenge the ideas, all of this. And how was that transition from the building side to the security side? What sort of mindset shifts did you have to make? I don't think that I made any shift in mindset because when I wrote the smart contracts uh, for the protocol, I was always concerned about security. So it's like, when you write something, you need to be very deep into security as well, because after that you will have audit, you don't want to be in the position where you have three criticals, right? And also you just want to, to know if at any case, you just need to deploy a contract and without any external review, it will be fine. We all like, we don't do this, but I it's just, you, you need to have impressions that it will be fine at least. So it's like, you need to understand everything and making design review as well. 
but it's a bit of different job when actually you you know sit down and writing smart contracts or you challenge the ideas you make review uh, you're working more on the abstract level where okay how we design the component of the system how secure should it be like what we can add as uh, additional level of security so right so it sounds like you've been naturally more geared towards security from the get-go and if someone wants to get better security but they don't have that initial propensity to, to it that you have is there any piece of advice that you can give those people that are trying to be more security minded yeah sure i think that the first that you can do is basically start to understand how EVM works so for me it helped a lot because so it's looking into solidity code and trying to understand how it's executed and there's a, a bunch of resources that you just go and you know take a look into each of code how it works how much gas it consumes all about EVM and as soon as you understand EVM you will understand a lot of potential security issues so it's like as soon as you really deep into it then you can you, you can actually find a lot of bugs it's the first step that i would do another step uh, it's obviously doing uh, security review for, let's say, Codeforina or Immunify. Probably Immunify for a lot of people will be uh, very challenging. But Codeforina seems fine to me because there's a lot of uh, contests right now. When I, when I started doing Codeforina a year ago, there was like one or three contests um, that running at the same time. But now I see like five, seven. And there's uh, other platforms that are also very popular. So we can jump on the smallest bounty and try to understand the protocol from the very beginning to you know, be in advance on it, try to find bugs, and then uh, read the disclosure report and etc. So it, it, will, it will help a lot. So what is ZK Sync, the company you work for? What, what is it and what does it do? Yeah, so we are working on scaling Ethereum. And basic idea is that yeah, Ethereum is very cool, very decentralized. Um, it's what we like on Ethereum. It's why we're not moving to any other chains. But at the same time, when you try to be very decentralized, you will have some limitation. And this limitation on Ethereum is like, okay, it will have 12 TPS, but not more, right? And also, yeah, we know, we know about problem with, uh, uh, with Ethereum because it's very expensive, you know, it's very slow, but we're using Ethereum because we want to be secure. And the idea of ZKSync is to bring advanced cryptography of zero-knowledge proofs or validity proofs to actually scale, scale Ethereum. And yeah, it's what we did, I think, three years ago. Uh, we uh, made simple rollups. Uh, it was a rollup for uh, payment, NFTs, and swaps. So the idea was that on layer one on Ethereum, you could just deposit funds into ZKSync. Um, now it's called ZKSync Lite. And on this rollup, you can uh, take the funds and make transfer to any address. So it's, it will be much cheaper because um, of this advanced technology, uh, you can prove execution of the uh, rollup and the verification on chain will be very cheap. So yeah, it's a, like a basic idea. Could you describe a little bit what a rollup is? Okay, what is rollup? So, as I said, the idea is that you want to prove the well, okay, you want to prove the execution 
there's two different ways how to do it, but let's say that you somehow can provide the proof for Ethereum that execution is correct, right? And you also want to publish all the data for users to understand what happens in the blockchain. So Rollup is a basically a separate blockchain that is connected to main chain as Ethereum for layer one, we call it, or for Rollup it's layer two. And you connected it via bridge and the state transitions that you can do always should provide the proof of execution and all the data that is needed to restore the state of a blockchain. So at any point of time, you could actually say, yeah, I know the execution is correct. And also you can just take a look into the data on chain and say, yeah, I know the state of the blockchain. So you, you are like pretty sure that it's always explicit what happened on the blockchain. You know that there's no fraud and yeah. It's a it's a basic idea. So and also there's a, some um, some properties that need to be on the rollup to be a rollup. So users always should have ability to exit from rollup to Ethereum. So you're saying that we inherit security from Ethereum. Right. And there's other types of layer twos, right? There's other types of rollups, other types of layer twos that are not actually rollups. We have sidechains, validiums. What is the difference between the ZK sync rollup and layer two? Oh, it's a great question. So it's like, um, the problem is what secure your money exactly? So it's like, you can, um, you can bridge funds to any sidechain. And usually sidechain means that there's a bunch of private keys. We have one multi-seek that's signing a message about validity of uh, of the chain. So if the keys of multi-seek will be stolen, your funds will be stolen as well. So it's like all the security is based on the uh, a bunch of private keys. Uh, it's, it's a difference. Um, I think that it's a case for many bridges. It's not only uh, what, <clears throat> it's not always a, a case when we think about um, like side chains, but also about the bridges itself. Because it's also security assumptions that you, you, you get from bridges, it's usually just a multi-seek. And what is different for the rollup is that we mathematically prove the execution. So you don't need to trust us. We just provide the proof. You can verify it and say, yeah, it makes sense to me. And if the implementation of the rollup itself is correct, that is, you know, uh, audited, we have a bug bounty program for uh, $1 million for ERA and uh, $2 million for Lite. And if it's correct, then you can assume that security um, is the same as in Ethereum. So it's like, you don't need to trust us. There's no uh, single point of failure. Right, so a sidechain is mostly control, uh, the security relies more on a private key, so it's not mathematically secure. And there are other types of ropes as well, like uh, which are more similar to ZK Sync, but because they're not a sidechain, but there's still there's some differences between there yeah there's some so for optimistic chain it's actually a very simple idea and it's a, i think it's a brilliant idea if uh, in the world where there's no zk proof i would say uh, it's something that we should to use but as soon as we have zk proofs uh, we have something better uh, more scalable and uh, so you don't need to use optimistic approach no more but for optimistic approach is basically saying that look i put something on chain here's the data if you think that it's incorrect, you can prove that it's it's incorrect. So it's like, and you have a window, like let's say seven days when you 
um, just watch the chain and saying, oh, okay, okay, that's a fraud. I, I will prove it. And yeah, it's what's the optimistic approach. And for ZK, you're saying, no, no, you're not, you don't need to watch the chain because we just provide the proof and you can uh, just verify the proof on chain. Yeah, right. And so those chains are still, uh, there's still a pretty big difference, I would say, because one, you're assuming the, the transactions are valid and the other one, there's no assumption of anything. They're always getting validated. But then there is also validiums, which are, are a little more similar to ZK rollups. If perhaps you can make the, what is the difference between validiums and ZK rollups? Yeah, so as for a rollup, you need to publish all the data on chain. And that would mean that uh, if you just taking a look into Ethereum, you will always get the data, you will always be able to restore the state. Uh, but what you can do is to publish only a proof on chain and data you can store on other storage. You can, you know, you can get, get uh, eigenlayer or you can uh, get any anything like a, a sharding of data that is very popular right now. And you can just uh, save data on one data later, but proof saving on chain. This way, if malicious validator wants to stop the chain, it could stop the chain, but not steal the mine because he can't make a fraud. He can make you know a state transition that is incorrect mathematically, but he can just say, oh, I don't know the data and no one will be able to restore the state. So it's a different security assumption, but it's more like acceptable ones, I, I think, because uh, so the, <laughs> yeah, so basically, if, if you're saying that uh, you only can stop the, the chain, what you will what, what you will do with it, right? There's no incentive to do it. And it's still to be researched, of course, but it's uh, much better than having optimistic chain uh, with no data availability layer, because in that case, you can make a fraud and say, yeah, yeah, I just sent all the money to my address. And no one can prove it because data is not available. Right, so there's all these different ways that you can do rollups. And why did ZK Sync decided to go with this type of architecture that you guys are doing? What what are the implications of such system? I think that it's the only uh, viable way to do a uh, secure chain. So previously, a lot of uh, a lot of people just experiment with uh, Plasma, with optimistic chain, with optimistic rollups, and it's pretty popular even right now. But back then, it was not obvious that ZK uh, will be scalable enough to actually uh, compute something like EVM or any other virtual machine. And three years ago, when I joined, I was like, no, it's a crazy idea. We will not do it because it's like, it's impossible. Right now, we see that uh, we have a huge increase of performance for proof system. And basically, you can prove whatever you want. And uh, I think that Alex, um, our CEO, he had a pretty good uh, vision for future and saying, yeah, it's not, you know, not scalable enough right now, but in one year, two years. And he was right. Uh, so with ZK, you can, you can do a lot of different DVC stuff. You can have a multi rollup structure, or you can, you know, hyperscaling, you can have layer threes, you can, um, you can even, you know, try to experiment with data availability layer, or you can prove any execution and for optimistic and other approaches with uh, game theory involved, it's it's not it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So it's like what what, what the problem? Uh, 
uh, there's a lot of different experiments and you say, okay, here's one problem, we solve it. There's another problem, we solve it. And like, it's always something with a lot of assumptions that you need to take. And when you bring the case, like the only assumption is implementation is correct. Right. And you mentioned hyperscaling. Um, what, what does that mean that hyperscalability? Um, I know you guys are thinking modular frameworks and talk about hyperchains and hyperbridges. What, what does that mean exactly? So I think that, yeah, it has a lot of different meanings, but also because uh, right now I see that a lot of players try to experiment with hyperscaling in some different forms. Uh, but for us, it's more like you can have a, a couple of rollups that has a connected with one bridge and they, they could just uh, have a message passing between each other, like in the sharding model, very cheap and very secure. So if you have one implementation of the rollup, let's say there's a few instance of ZK sync and both of them, like you, you can, you can just bring money from one to another, very cheap. You don't need to go through layer one. Uh, also, it's just different instance of ZK Sync, so you can have mixed, you know, data availability layer, or you can uh, think about uh, making your own application specific layer on top of ZK Sync uh, chain. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a basic idea that you can make it like a multi world of chains uh, instead of having one ZK Sync instance. Right, and all of that is powered through validity proofs, right? So you wouldn't have to make any assumptions. Yeah, exactly. And what are the security implications of such system? What are the challenges and considerations a project like that has? Oh, like, uh, of, yeah, of course it's, I think it's okay. So it's like, take, you can take the current implementation of ZKSync and it's basically was developed for, uh, you know, to, to be secure, to, to be, to have a great user experience and all of this, of course. And you can just take it and involve it in, in more like a generalized way. So like saying that people can copy paste the code and it will be, you know, it's open on GitHub. You can just uh, make a Git clone and then start uh, working with it. So you can develop your own chain, uh, like similar to what Open Zeppelin did with uh, ERC20 tokens. If you take a look into Open Zeppelin side, just here, a button to, yeah, I want to create your seed venture token. I want to have this extension and another one and okay, deploy, boom. And it's, it's developed, it deployed. So it's like the same that I would expect for rollups in the future. If you want to develop your own chain, um, you can just uh, have this uh, constructor for, for the rollup. And it's what we do with, with, with the key sync, like uh, adding a layer of additional extensions and thinking how, how they should be interconnected together, what, uh, Quality proof you should use, like how to verify it and how to make it cheaper, how to make message passing between them. It's all extension to current architecture, right? Uh, but uh, the main core part is the same as it was. Right. So the goal is to one day make it as easy to deploy a ZK chain as it is to deploy a ERC20, basically. Yes. Cool. So ZK Sync has these properties that it doesn't need to rely on any assumptions and it can be hyperscaled, right? But what are the, some, some of the cons from ZK Sync that another type of rollup has, for example, optimistic? Are there any positive sides to choosing an optimistic rollup against a ZK rollup? I think that the 
for a long time, optimistic rollup was much cheaper than uh, actually ZK rollup. The reason for this is because they don't really need to prove something on chain, but they want to be optimistic that, you know, just sending data and assuming that everything is correct. And in the worst case, they will prove the execution, they will have a, a challenge period, but if everything is okay, it's cheaper. Yeah, it was for a long time. And I, now I think that it's a bit changed because, uh, so there's the interesting properties for optimistic role. You always need to store data that not only enough to restore the state, but always to re-execute transaction. So you just need to store the all transaction altogether on, on, on the layer one. And it's for a ZK rollup, you can also do this. Of course, you can just store transaction and say, you can you know, restore the state, you can re-execute transaction. But you can, what you can also store it, you can store just the difference between storage from previous block and current one. So it's like saying that here's this plot that changed from, from value uh, X to uh, value Y, let's say. And you store it on chain and people can take a look and say, yeah, yeah, it makes sense to me. I can apply this uh, storage changes uh, to Merkle tree is uh, storage, right? So, and still you will have all the information to restore the state, but the data that you publish will be much less. It's what we do with NZKSIM. You can also think about um, Oracle updates. It's a pretty simple use case, but it's uh, very popular right now. So. Uh, if uh, there's, there's one Oracle that updates uh, a slot for like every second, it will need to make a lot of storage changes. And on Ethereum, you will pay for every storage change. So it's like, yeah, I pay for this and another and like for 100 of storage changes. And it will be very expensive. On the Sync, you can just uh, make all of the storage changes and pay only for one of them because only one storage change will be sent to Ethereum. Uh, so it's a different on on the data availability model, what you can store uh, on, on chain, what data you can store in chain, and it'll be really cheaper or more expensive depending on the protocol. But from what we see right now, uh, if you accumulate enough data together, so it's like a block contains uh, enough transaction, it will be cheaper to have storage changes. And when you started, you, you, you mentioned it was Zeki Light and you know, now it's not called that. And what what changed between what what was then and what is now? Um, so for back then, it was just very simple rollup. It was like a proof of concept, I guess, for what we can do with uh, ZK proof. And the idea was that you can actually transfer money to uh, ZK Sync by depositing through layer one. And then all of this money you can transfer to inside the rollup. So it will be cheaper to transfer inside. And uh, yeah, it was actually some pretty good use cases uh, was for, for the rollup back then. It's like uh, um, you can make a donation, yeah, right? So, so you, can, you can deposit once to rollup and then you can make transfer for one project you want to donate. It was, uh, it was used in Gitcoin grants actually. Uh, so you can just donate to another one and you can make a lot of donation. Um, but yeah, deposit on layer one is very expensive and transferring on layer two is very cheap. So if you make enough transfer on layer two, it will be cheaper for you than transferring on layer one. So back then it was a simple specific application for Ziki Lite. And what can you do now in Ziki era that you couldn't before? So it's a generic virtual machine. 
more like EVM specific. So you can just uh, work on Solidity smart contracts and deploy it on directly on ZKSync. And what it's really impressed for me because the technology involved so much that uh, currently you can just prove the execution of virtual machine and you don't need to uh, think about application specific chains no, like no more. Yeah, probably we will have use cases for uh, application specific uh, chains in future for like trading, let's say, or uh, games probably. Uh, but uh, for general purpose rollup where you want to have a DeFi, you want to have some other application altogether, you want to have communication between them, you can just deploy uh, what is on ZKSync here. Right? Application, application specifics for gaming, what, what would that look like? Um, it's, uh, I, I actually don't know. It's like, I'm not very deep into games, but I assume that, uh, you know, people figured out how to make separate chain for gaming. And it's very inconvenient to make it um, on Ethereum or any other chains because they want to have a really big throughput. So it's like, they want to have a million of transactions per second. They only cares about items on the game. Uh, so yeah, I would assume that they will need to have a chain for, for this. Probably it will be storing some uh, items, but also providing a proof of execution or proof of, uh, uh, you know, uh, finishing of the quest or something. So you can, mm -hmm. you can just, and then you can, can copy paste the data from one game to another one, or you can, you know, change the server and you will have a proof that you actually played it your own, but not, you know, making a fraud for the server. So yeah, it should be some, some kind of mix of what we see right now that people try to bring into on-chain, but, uh, and also off-chain gaming, something in between. And I could use the current ZK stack to deploy a chain like that? Uh, not yet, not yet, but uh, I think we will see it much more in future. So we just release our ZK Credo and uh, um, ZK stack technology, but also working a lot for actually providing, uh, you know, uh, it's more user-friendly, developer-friendly, and uh, people to actually uh, be able to deploy everything in place. Can you elaborate on what the ZK Credo is? It's a set of uh, um, goals that we put for ZKSync itself as uh, what we want to achieve with ZK technology, as we assume that ZK, ZK is the only technology that can bring scalability in, in you know, in, in the form that uh, we want to achieve on the blockchain. And it's the only technology that can actually involve blockchain to something that uh, can be used widely in the industry. So yeah, it's a, like, um, so it's basically a manifesto. Yeah. About the the goals and morality that this type of technology allows and embodies. Yes, exactly. I'll leave the link below if you guys wanna dig into it. Um and we you know, ZK Sync obviously stands for zero zero knowledge, right? And what what are zero knowledge proofs? What does that mean? Okay, so for zero knowledge proofs, it's uh, so zero knowledge uh, means that uh, you could make a proof of something without actually revealing the information about it. So assuming I have a let's say big number, I I know that I can split it into you know a multiplication of two different number. Uh, but uh, if I if I just think the one number 
uh, if you think this, uh, if, if, you, if I provide you two numbers, you can, yeah, say I multiply them and yeah, I know that it's actually this one big number. But if you don't know how, what number you need to multiply, you will not um, actually be able to say whether I know the numbers itself. But with the key proof, I can uh, make actually proof that I know uh, both two numbers without revealing it to you. Another cool feature of the, the key proof is that you can prove something, but verification of it will be um, really cheap. And uh, even if execution is arbitrarily big, so you can prove one virtual machine or 10 of them, or you can make a proof of proof of virtual machine, um, then the verification will be as cheap as uh, proving something very small. So it's what we use on ZKSync because so the trace of transactions that we prove, it can be very big. So it's like you can have 100 or 1000 transactions, uh, but at the end, you would just create one proof and verify it on chain. Even if you want to provide the proof for two blocks, we can make one proof for it. If you want to provide the proof for the whole history of Ethereum transaction, we can make one proof. It, of course, it takes some time to actually generate the proof, but besides that, it's, uh, it's feasible to do. Right, and there's different ways you can do those proofs, right? There's different types of ZK technologies. What type of ZK do you, does ZK Sync rely upon and why? Yeah, so we use currently we use a Plong, some kind of extension to it, uh, but the basic idea of Plong that, that we take, and it's currently deployed on ZK Sync era. It's uh, well battle tested because um, we use it on uh, ZKSync Lite, we use it on ZKSync Kira, and it actually did the job. Uh, but I think when just uh, a month ago, or yeah, like more like two weeks ago, we published uh, uh, Bodrum. It's a new proof system that we developed for a long time. Uh, I'm not a cryptographer, so I couldn't go deep into it, but I'm just saying that uh, it's a um, it's a Stark proof, not Snark. Also, don't want to spend much time on it when dis describing all the difference. But the cool feature about this is that uh, proof is very cheap to actually generate, and we can use just consumer GPUs to generate the proof. Uh, it's something that uh, you want to see for decentralizing the network, uh, because we had a lot of GPUs from that people used for mining, and they don't know for what they can use it right now, right? And for the key proofs, we use uh, like uh, big data centers to actually generate the proof, and it, it was not always as cheap as we want. So yeah, and uh, with new proof system with Bodrum, uh, we could uh, bring all these consumer GPUs to actually do a work for for the scalability of the network. And that would allow anyone to run these proofs on their home computer, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And what are what are the projects you've been working on at ZK Sync lately? So yeah, I think that actually um, I did a lot of further protocol. I was writing smart contracts and uh, designing bridging or thinking about account abstraction, very interesting task in general. So it was uh, more like designing the protocol itself and designing how how you will develop each component for the straight transition or what you will say is that, yeah, we need to store funds in which contract and how. Also designing the governor feature, how it should look like, right? So you always have this private key and you know, multi-sig, but you can always think about different implication of security for it. 
And uh, usually people are just saying, yeah, yeah, we have one multi-seek and like seven out of 10. If he, if he's with us, it's all fine, but if not, we are fucked up. And we are saying a bit different. We try to think about all the implication, you know, if uh, a key is stolen, but there's no incentive to actually reveal that you have a key or like what you will do in different situations, how you prevent hacks. And yeah, it's, it's what was, was a part of my job. Can you dive into a little bit of the account abstraction work that you did? Yeah, so for ZKSync, we have a landscape for actually experiment with uh, EVM, but not even EVM, but execution itself. So if you think about blockchain, uh, from the very beginning, we had Bitcoin, that was more like application specific. Then we had Ethereum, the smart contracts, very cool, but it was like not perfect because you have this one single uh, point of failure with your private key. And basically, if you want to use your private key for gaming or DeFi, and you just need to store it some, somewhere, you need to have a, or seed phrases, right? It's very inconvenient. How to describe to uh, my grandfather that there's a couple of words that you need to store somewhere. Um, and, you know, it's actually what secure your funds. There's no one from bank who will call you uh, in case of emergency. And the experience uh, for users was not always great. For more advanced users, it's uh, probably okay-ish. But for billions of users that we're saying that we want to have on chain, uh, it's not the case. So account abstraction is a feature that allows you to get out of private key to something more user-friendly and actually make an abstraction over account. So saying that, okay, uh, authorization of account, you can just develop it by your own. You can develop the execution of your account by your own. And now you can have a different interesting ideas. So you can have a session keys. It's, uh, you know, imagine you, you play a game and you want to make some interaction with the game, but you don't want to sign every message on MetaMask. It's very inconvenient. And you just want to store it somewhere in browser storage. But if you just do it, you can lose all the funds. It's not, not, not very cool, right? So you want to, you, you need to create another wallet and transfer funds to it and then take this private key and play. But with account abstraction, you can just say, yeah, yeah, add new key. And now you have one key that can call only specific function with specific amount. You can have a restriction on it and you can play a game, make an interaction and your browser will send a message instead of you. And you don't care about that because there's a limited amount of funds that can be stolen. Or you can think about uh, multi-seek or um, 2FAs that you can enable with it. So it's an uh, Argent wallet uh, that has very cool uh, user experience. So uh, it's all about uh, user-centric roadmap when you want to bring great user experience and be on the safe side as well. So it's like all together. Yeah. Um, so that would be taking a bit of the administrative burden of a user and allowing him to do whatever he wants to do without having so severe consequences if something goes wrong. And how is that implemented in ZK Sync? How does that look like? This, yeah, there's two different ways how you can implement it. You can implement it on top of the network. It's uh, uh, what Ethereum Foundation do right now. And you can have a smart wallet that will have real layers. And it's a one way how to do it. I think the reason for it is because 
for changing something on Ethereum, it's very hard. You need to, uh, you know, be aligned with the community and uh, try to be backwards compatible. And for the Gsync, we we are more flexible. We can uh, we don't want to break things, but we can experiment with something, and uh, we can always uh, add it on top of the network. So it's, uh, it's a case for us. And uh, we did it in more like um, natural way to make it from the core part of the blockchain. And so it's like we, we called it native account abstraction because it's not that we try to add on top of execution with relayers on top of it, but instead we're doing it uh, as a design of the protocol. And by that, so if you send transaction to the ZKSync mempool, it has two different types of transaction. It's uh, either Ethereum transaction that uh, um, can be used for EOA accounts with private key, but you can also use a, speci a specific type of uh, transaction with which you can send transaction to smart wallet. And this uh, transaction will be processed by mempool, by our sequencer, and this transaction will be uh, validated by smart wallet and then executed by smart wallet. So um, we kind of delegate the functionality of validation of the signature, nonce, and uh, all of this for the wallet. Uh, yeah, but but it's still it's still something that is managed by the protocol, not not, not some extension to, to it. Yeah, cool. So I could choose to to use a account abstraction or not, and that's implemented natively. Uh, instead of being an extension for ZK Sync. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you you always can choose because it's Turing complete network, so you can just uh, make some extension on top if you want. But it's still you can use a native feature. Awesome. And through implementing all of this, I'm sure you had to increase your skill set significantly from one task to the other. And how do you? What what's your uh, approach to learning new things and tackling new challenges? I think that it's more like a natural way how we take challenges because physics-in uh, progressed, I took more responsibility and you just learn a lot about different areas. So I started doing uh, smart contracts and then I just jumped on security. Actually, very fun story because I was thinking uh, about jumping on Immunify or Codeforina for a long time, but was like not very confident on my skill. There's a lot of people who is, you know, uh, guts of solidity and is that much more than me. But the story that I had is like, I was, you know, thinking, yeah, yeah, I can, but not now. And then I did the code review for um, just usual PRs. That, yeah, you, you just you, a part of your job to make your review. And there was a code that I took a look and like, oh yeah, it's like small library. I probably will try to, to break it and spend like 10, 10 minutes and say, oh, here's a bug, uh, please, please fix it. And my colleague said, no, but it's not my bug. It's open Zeppelin library. It's like, what? I was like, yeah, it's open Zeppelin. So I jumped to Immunify and like, okay, um, submit the report and say, yeah, yeah, it's valid submission. It was medium severity issue. It's my first bug that I uh, was paid for. And then you start, you know, uh, working more and saying, yeah, probably I'm confident enough to jump into security. And it's always the case with a, with a job in Web3 space, I guess, because you just, you know, uh, try to, to do a bit more. And then if you, su you succeed on it, you will, you know, start working and do more and more. Of course, it's not good to take security responsibility when you're not confident and you're uh, 
can miss a lot of bugs, but at the same time, if you progress and take it uh, a bit and a bit more from time, it will be fine, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, a good point to make that if you don't actually try it, you don't really know how how good you're actually going to be. But if you just give it a try, you can just have an actual sense of what you're capable of. So I think everyone owns themselves to give it an honest shot and see what happens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And would you say that you enjoy the building part or the breaking part more? I think both. I heard a lot about uh, you can build or break only, or you can choose, but I think it's not, not true at all. Because when you build something, you need to be, yeah, you, you think optimistically about your code. People usually, oh, but it's, it's a good code. And not, why, why are you trying to break it? Be a bit offended about it. But when you build something for uh, Web3 and you build smart contracts or build a very, a very dangerous part of the system in general, so it's, if it breaks, it will be very bad for, for the whole community. Not, not even for us, yeah? It's like for the whole community in general. So you're a bit more concerned and you're also thinking about security. So you take a bit of this side. If you're not taking security uh, as important part of your job as a builder, you do something wrong, I guess. And when you're doing security, you also think you need to be a bit of builder because you need to understand what is feasible, uh, what is, you know, if you over-engineer and what is attack vector on it, you need to take all of this consideration together. Uh, even so that it's a different job uh, in general when you type code and when you do a review and then try to find a bug. Uh, but still the mindset, uh, it's a bit shared between different roles. And do you think that being a developer helps you when you're looking for bugs? Definitely, yeah, I guess. Um, so for me, uh, some cool bugs that I found, but not, not all of them. Some of them was like spontaneously just looking at the code and yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But for some, I was writing something and see, wow, it's a very dangerous part. I just you know, almost miss it. And okay, probably someone missed it. And yeah, as I said, people who actually take a look into code and the exact bugs that you made, uh, they can find it on other, uh, like, uh, yeah, smart contracts. So it also was a case for, uh, I think, Starkware okay. bug that they found. It was uh, an issue that uh, I was writing a contract and write a contract and see, okay, I, I missed a small bug, but it's, it's okay, I, I will fix it. Spent a bit of time on it, but then probably someone else has this bug and uh, took a look into DeFi contracts and other rollups and think, okay, this is Starkware and they have this uh, bug in a uh, new version of smart contract. So just wrote to them and saying, yeah, yeah, uh, guys, take a look and they approve it as well. So it's how building stuff can help you to be secure because you have all this consideration from, you know, when you start building each part that you have problem with. And you know how builders think of it, each of stuff. Yeah, I think that's a, a great approach to it. And would you say that you need a minimum level of security experience to be able to develop sound contracts? And how, how would you go about getting the level of skill as a developer? Mm -hmm. So when you're a developer, you, yeah, you need to be very technical. 
like technical as much as you can be. But when you do security, I guess you can miss a lot of parts and it's fine. Also a case, for instance, for a complicated system. You, you can be no, you know, not technical, you can just understand a bit of uh, syntaxes, but you can find a logical bug. So it's, uh, it's, it's not uh, directly connected uh, because it's, it's actually about a different skill. Uh, but if you're technical enough, it helps you to understand system from the uh, very beginning. And it helps you to, to find an, like a different uh, box that other people cannot define. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about this bug you found in Open Zeppelin? How did that happen? And what, what was it? Oh, so there was actually three bugs that I found. This was like one by one. It was one, one crazy week that I was looking into uh, Open Zeppelin library. Uh, it's actually the first week that I started. For the, for the first bug, I uh, described the story how I found it. Uh, for second and third, I think that I was just looking more into code and, you know, try to find another bug. Because I was feeling that, yeah, yeah, now I can, I can, can catch all of them. And actually, yeah, uh, break to two different parts. Uh, the problem uh, for the Open Zeppelin library back then, it was um, the solidity version that they changed from um, 0 0.7 to 0 0.8. And when they changed the version of solidity, the ABI encoder also changed from version 1 to version 2. Uh, because of different checks for ABI encoding, uh, ABI decode works differently. And uh, so basically it's reward if you try to get a boolean value so you just try to decode and uh, try to decode boolean value but it's not boolean and it's reverse and previously it was not the case it was simple back on you know solidity semantics and uh, uh, syntax that uh, anyone could find but for some reason it was in the contract for a long period of time and i guess also because people was like oh it's open zeppelin uh, no one could find back so, right, it's good reputation that helped uh, people to obfuscate security, and also bug was not not critical. So it was like more uh, engaged to me that uh, you can find something medium or high severity bug, but uh, still it's important for industry to take uh, high level of quality for uh, such important libraries of example. They also yeah were like really great in communication and very quick in responding. I had so, so great experience with them. And what about the stock bar bug? What, when, what were you building that you kind of realized someone could have missed it? Yeah, because it was tricky about this Merkle tree. And it's something that, you know, I, I just tried to build Merkle tree verification. And for some reason, I couldn't just use uh, Open Zeppelin libraries to uh, usually prevent a lot of hacks. Um, but I was I was needed to build uh, something specific because we have a, the same version of Merkle, Merkle tree in ZK circuits. So you have two different versions, and what is easier to build, you you just build it. And um, I missed one of check, but very important. And actually, you could you know make uh, some kind of double spend. And yeah, I quickly, you know, realize it and fix the bug. Uh, but at the same time, when you think about such a, you know, tricky bug when you have a Merkle tree, but there's a double spend because of one missing check. And when I initially developed it, I was like, no, it will be fine. It's like, 
uh, I prevent and make all of the checks. I was just not thinking about one specific scenario. And uh, I think that other developers could also miss it because the kind of uh, uh, thinking when you develop is more like more optimistic. You're thinking about it should work and why it should work is in test a past and it's everything is it's okay. Uh, but yeah, it's like what I missed, I could just replace it to another project and see what how it will look like. And uh, I just found it, uh, yeah, in, in the code base of Starcraft. Yeah, that's cool. And how do you think of those different scenarios? Because when you, you just mentioned that you're a little more optimistic when you're building, and how do you switch to being pessimistic and how do you come up with different scenarios where things can break? I think it's different uh, incentivized mechanism for your brain, because when you develop, you want to see your products, you know, finished and, you know, in a good sport, uh, good quality of code and actually running and uh, provide some value for, for industry. But when you're breaking something, the only thing that you want to achieve is to actually find a bug uh, and uh, actually to break the system. So I think that with this incentivized mechanism, my my brain is start thinking in a different direction. So I want to I want to get this goal, and you know I want to find the bug because I know that people will respect me for finding bugs, and also it's something that my goal is in general when you try to break. So it's, yeah, my brain is thinking about different direction. It's something that is you know natural way it's bringing its son. That makes sense. And when you're building, do you usually have a period of time where you are in that optimistic mindset and then later on you switch and you try to break it or something that you change on, on the go as you're building? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that uh, I what I do is when I'm building, I just actually write the code and make a specification for it. And yeah, it's like, it's, it's it. So, but then I was going for a walk and thinking about code, if if I if I can, it's actually helped me a lot. And usually I you know can go out with friends, and then you can you can you can just speak with about something. But your brain thinking about direction of hacking, and some crazy idea just pop up in a random moment mm -hmm. of time. So it's like yeah yeah because you know the structure of the code, you know all the invariants that you want to hold, you know the, how EVM works and solidity, and then you just get it all together with one creative idea, how you can break it. And it's, yeah, it's more like this process of creativity when you need to spend more time, uh, yeah, but not actually to think and write something. Yeah, no, I think that's a common thread among many security experts that they found their most interesting bugs when they were like in the shower or going for a walk. There's something about just letting your mind work in the background without actually being looking at the code that when you're like unencumbered, just relaxing, and something comes to you, you're like, oh, I figured it out. Yes, exactly. I started doing code for Ina for like years ago, and uh, we did like we, we did it with my friend uh, together, and he's like very smart guy. Uh, did a lot of uh, Olympiad uh, and uh, computer science stuff so he knows a lot about algorithms and data structure how how computer works and all of this and i really like the process of 
breaking contracts with someone, not 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 being alone, because you can share the ideas, and it's actually what we what we, what we are doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely something to being able to bounce ideas back and forth and having someone to share that experience. Um, on that theme, what is your favorite part about working at ZK Sync? Um, it's actually yeah, breaking stuff. It's it's the same for. So I think that this creative part when you think about security of the network, it's actually very different from from competitive audit and uh, uh, bug bounty because when you have one system for a long period of time and you think about security of the network, uh, you think it in a different way because when you try to break it, for instance, on Immunify, right? The only incentive that you have is something is almost broken, but not. You will not even send a report because you know that you will not get paid for what you will send it, right? And for Kotfurina, you will know that it's low severity, so it doesn't make sense for you. But when you're developing the project, you, you need to think more about, okay, it's right now it's not, not something suspicious, but probably in future it will be. And yeah, so it's uh, basically what what you need to think about. So you need to think more about attack scenarios. You need to think about attack vectors, threat model, uh, design of the system. You need to be very careful with what you implement and how it will be implemented, how it will change in future. So it's uh, yeah, more like connected. Yeah. And... If you had to choose between only building something or only trying to break a protocol, would you choose to only try to break it? If you had to choose between one or the other, um, I think it's more yeah, it's more about breaking right now. But it's also it also depends. I'm really enjoying building something. It's uh, you know when I hack something and when I um, try people to uh, make design better. So. I also spend a lot of time for comments like you can implement this function uh, a bit better. You can add comments here and what what actually audit company do, right? So it's like when you do an audit, you also need to provide uh, some suggestions, improvements. You put some raw notes, but not only finding bugs. It's all about mm -hmm. security in future. So it's a continuous integration with uh, um, with a security design instead of just you know trying to solve all the problems right now and saying oh it's almost broken but it's fine because there's some implicit check in between so you don't need to care and yeah it's what's the difference I see yeah so you like to take a holistic approach to security instead of just finding one thing that breaks and and that's it you like to look at the system as a whole and try to make it as secure as possible and as future proof as possible yeah, of course, because it's uh, how mature system should look like, right? Because uh, I had this example on Twitter, someone uh, posted about Boeing that there's a four engine and if one engine, or if two engines broken, two will be enough to actually continue flying in a safe mode. Uh, and it's crazy because, you know, it's something that I want to see more on roll-up on a smart contract side, because people instead saying that, yeah, I mean, if you know, if multi-seek is broken, we are broken as well. It's fine, but it's not fine. It's like you you take the assumption of the system much more than you should do, and you also not to try make design safe, but you want to make implementation safe. So it's all, all different uh, 
ideas. And I want I want to see more about all these design decisions that people do. I want to see smart contracts that say safe on the design, try to be uh, safe on, on on you know like have a security in depth where they even prevent every possible bug on different layers from the implementation to design to, to all, even like assuming that there's a bug in some some core parts of the system, they will have some uh, even like circuit breaker or some helps to escape funds or analysis. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that I don't know if you watched the uh, talk between the uh, Cotarina, Sherlock and the auditing firm's CEOs where they, they were debating. And one of the main topics was that the auditing firms, they provide this holistic overview of the protocol. Whereas the contest, the audit contest, it's more on that idea of trying to break it and only finding the, the most uh, severe problems, but then possibly missing things that could lead up to bigger problems down the road. And I think it's something cool to highlight that it is a different mindset and it has implications. And it's cool that you you like to think about on the holistic side. Um, and that's probably a very good thing for ZK Sync. Yeah, but in general, we do both. We try to do yeah, competitive audits like at Freena because it's different incentivized model, right? We also want to have a bug bounty program as a final step if something goes wrong and people actually find zero day, we want to have incentive to actually report to us, but we also do audits and we have independent security researchers as well. And we do, uh, you know, design review internally. We want to have everything together or, like, or, or even like monitoring for the network. Um, because if you just miss some part of it, you will be not safe because all of these parts discover different, different, different uh, uh, systems. Like, like if you want, you, if you want to be secure on the, you know, all the layers, you need to to think about all the implication, and uh, all the it'll use all the people that can help you. So it's like, yeah, you want to have all these crazy um, ideas from Kotfarina versus this one unique bug, and no one can find it because incentivized models saying if you find one unique bug, you get paid very well. And uh, on Immunify, when zero days and just popping up on all of these projects. And yeah, it's like, uh, or audit films that helps you to secure code uh, by design. So it's like, all, I think all together, what we try to do. Yeah, I think this layer approach is definitely the best way to go about it and make sure you have as many layers as possible on the security stack of things. Yeah, it was a pleasure to have you here. It was really good to talk to you and hear all about your experiences and how you came to be where you are at the moment. Uh, um, I think it's a connection with internet just 